Welcome back to another episode of Enter the Nerddom. I'm here with hosts Stan Morrissey and Watson Bradshaw, and I'm Chad Cook. And we're here with our special guest, Fred Decker, who is the director and writer of Night of the Creeps, uh, The Monster Squad, Robocop 3, and the writer of The Predator, um, and has had an amazing uh, career throughout yeah, Hollywood. Yeah, basically anything that was cool when we were kids. When we were kids, uh, <laughs> huge influence in our lives, um, and uh, we are here tonight talking to him. Yeah. Hello, Fred. Thank you so much for coming on. Great to, to be here. To learn them. Um, and I think we'd... Uh, I'd like to start off by just asking you how you got to uh, the career that uh, you've had, this amazing career you've had. How did, uh, if you want to just give us a, you know, synopsis of your life, how you got into Hollywood, what what pulled you into directing and writing, and uh, <laughs> and uh, how you uh, how you how you get where uh, how you got where you where you are now. Well, I was always a movie buff. My dad was a movie buff, and uh, you know, back in the bygone days, before streaming and even before you know video and whatnot, and DVDs and Blu-rays and all that newfangled crap. When I was a kid, <laughs> you know, I'd I'd look at the uh, TV listings, and mm -hmm. uh, I'd seen some of King Kong, the original King Kong from 1933, mm -hmm. and I and I would look in the TV listings, and it would be on at three o'clock in the morning. So I'd set my alarm clock, and I'd get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and go and watch King Kong. And that was kind of my childhood uh, absorbing these, you know, cinefantastic movies mm. with, with elements that were, that were crazy and strange and had monsters and stuff like that. And uh, as I grew up, um, uh, I continued to go to the movies, and uh, I was lucky. I, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and there were a lot of uh, rip retro houses, retrospective houses that would play old movies. And I discovered, you know, the films Bray Harryhausen and and uh, that kind of stuff. And uh, I was always a big fan of genre movies. But I think the one that sort of changed me for life was Jaws. Mm. I saw that when it first opened in, in uh, the mid-70s. And uh, it was the first movie where, uh, now if you know who Ray Harryhausen is and Willis O'Brien, who did effects back in those other pictures that I mentioned, you knew that there was somebody sort of doing the, uh, the, the the visual effects by hand, but Jaws was the first movie where I sensed the director. Mm. And that may be uh, my own uh, ignorance because a lot of movies have you know showy directing, but not so much back in the day. And that was the one where I could feel Steven Spielberg sort of playing the audience like a like a violin <laughs> and I just thought boy wow that's so, that's so cool I would love to be able to do that and um, so that was kind of my inspiration to become a filmmaker and I started making uh, you know Super 8 films and shooting videos and whatnot when I was in junior high school and in high school and uh, and I eventually decided that that's what I wanted to do with my life. Well, wow. and um, how did you end up? Um, Night of the Creeps was your first major film. Um, how? Uh, what was the inspiration for that? And, and how did you get? Um, basically, how did you get it made? Because it, it 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 was it was when you were starting off, right, as a filmmaker. So um, when, you, when your first major films, um, how did how did that come about? Well, I went to UCLA to uh, to go to film school, but they they rejected me, so I just stayed. Went to UCLA anyway because uh, <laughs> the girls you were just cute. You just sit in the class; they can't tell you to leave, the, right? Well, no, the weather was great and the girls were cute. Um, I didn't go to film classes per se, although I did discover a lot of uh, because they were constantly screening classics. I mean, that's where I discovered mm. uh, 
Sergio Leone. I saw uh, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly for the first time on the big mm, screen so at, classic. At, uh, at the film school there. But mostly, um, I, so I was an English major, technically. Hmm. But um, I started writing screenplays as sort of an entree to, to break in. And um, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a great, no longer with us, uh, Irish author um, named Brian, Brian Moore. And I took a, an English class from him, a writing class. And I said, listen, I'm working on this screenplay. And it was, it was kind of crappy. But uh, I said, would you be willing to look at my, uh, at my screenplay? Because he had written some screenplays. Well, I believe he wrote a Hitchcock movie, uh, one, of his, uh, one of his last films Brian Moore wrote. So I showed him the script. And, uh, and he said, this is um, kind of expert. Mm, wow. And I thought that was pretty high praise from, <laughs> from, a, from a very well-known novelist. So I started writing scripts, and um, I was also making short films at that time. And um, I made a short 16-millimeter film, which was about these two college kids who, uh, uh, one of them has a crush on this girl, and they try to figure out how to get with the girl, and uh, time travel was involved. <laughs> and, uh, and I actually, with some friends of mine, started to cast the film and to, to actually put it on its feet and, and to make it as a 16-millimeter short film. And... Um, for some reason, uh, so I filmed about 10 minutes of it, if that, maybe seven minutes of it. And then I wrote this script, which became Night of the Creeps. And it was uh, my attempt to sort of break in and do something that had a, a genre element to it. it it's kind of, I, I, I call Creeps kind of a, a pastiche. It's like, a, it's just, you know, everything you can think of, you throw in. There's, there's jokes and there's mm -hmm. zombies and there's... Yeah you know, girls taking their clothes off and like <laughs> everything that you would want to see at a B movie at a, a drive-in theater. Mm -hmm. So I wrote that script. So I had this script and I had this um, short film and somehow or other submitting those, to, I got an agent based on uh, another script I had written. And so we submitted the, the film and the script to uh, TriStar Pictures and they said, uh, go ahead, go make it. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Was did you write the the story for the house movie before uh, working on Creep? House or? House was my first screen credit. It was actually um, a, a a short film idea. Mm -hmm. We had all seen the Twilight Zone movie in the mid eighties, yeah. and we all loved that. And you know George Miller and Joe Dante and these great directors make in Spielberg making these gr these great short films. Yeah. And I said let's do that. <laughs> so I wrote House as a short film about a Vietnam veteran who is haunted by his experiences and uh, is visited by his uh, old army buddy who was of course killed in the war and, mm. um, and I never made that but my friend Ethan Wiley who was a roommate of mine in UCLA said hey are you ever going to make your that you know haunted house movie it was called house <laughs> so you're going to make that movie and I said yeah I don't know maybe and he goes well can I take a crack at it so he wrote the script and I was working for my first job in Hollywood was a was a Godzilla script before. Oh, yeah, I did want to talk to you about that. <laughs> yeah, before anybody thought to make Godzilla uh, as a feature uh, English language feature, mm -hmm. Steve Miner, who had made uh, Friday, who was a producer in the Friday Thirteenth movies and directed the second and the third and um, many other films as a director, he hired me to write the Godzilla movie, mm -hmm. and. Uh, and I did it, and it, it, it was never made, but uh, he read the house script, and he said, hey, I really like this, what are you doing with this? And I said, uh, you're looking at it. <laughs> and he said, well, can I make it? I said, sure. So uh, Steve Miner directed the movie. Oh, hmm. wow. And Ethan Wiley wrote the screenplay, mm -hmm. and uh, the story idea was mine. Mm -hmm. 
So that was my first movie. And Night of the Creeps was not that long after. That was about a year later. Wow. What was that feeling like to to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got this thing, and um, and all of a sudden you're given the green light to go and do it? Were, did you feel re- ready for that? I think so. I think I had a lot of uh, self-confidence at the time, and um, I think it was just, it was the path I'd chosen, mm-hmm. so there really wasn't any other route <laughs> available <laughs> to me, at least that I was willing to entertain. I think a lot of people give up maybe before they should, um, and I wasn't willing to, so uh, mm. I, I just, you know, knock wood. and Yeah, because it's... It's a daunting project to take on for, as a first movie because right. you've got a lot of visual effects. You're dealing with uh, stop motion effects. You're mm-hmm. dealing with practical makeups, uh, as well as it. It's got this comedic tone and being a horror movie at the same time. It's like it's a it's a very interesting like first picture to to choose instead of doing kind of a, a safer pick. Like, did you did you love the challenge? Was there stuff? involved that you were like i don't know how i'm gonna do this but i'll figure it out on the day or was it a lot of like fake it till you make it well i think really what it comes down to is you ask yourself you know if this if this fails am i ever going to be able to make another movie so i really Mm. went out of my way to throw in every type of film i could there's a there's some film noir in it there's some uh uh, young romance in it there's aliens from space there's zombies (laughs) there's humor there's um pathos so it was really kind of the kitchen sink movie, mm-hmm. and and at the end of the day, I think that was maybe a, a, a although the movie was not successful, I think that was a smart first movie to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really like the character uh, JC in it. Um, it was played by Steve Marshall. Yeah, we we did a screening of it here. We yeah. watched all all your movies back we, to back. Yeah, and we watched uh, Night of the Creeps, uh, yeah, Monster Squad, and Robocop Three. And I think all of us fell in love with JC a little bit, yeah. and we were yeah. like, "Oh yeah. man, JC is awesome!" Kid? Yeah. <laughs> and what happened to him? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Steve Marshall is a very successful businessman. Yeah. In um, Toronto. Yeah, wow. he was. Uh, yeah, he really he kind of stole every scene he was in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, was he was he your first choice when he when he first came on? Or I think so. Yeah. Okay. And then you of course had uh, Tom Atkins playing Detective Cameron. Yeah. Oh yeah. Who was yeah. phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> it's this like boozed up detective, which is just great through the yeah. whole film. Has some classic lines. What's interesting is uh, you know I'm a big fan of, of of John Carpenter, and I got to work with him briefly early, mm. early mm-hmm. in my career as a writer and. Um, I'd seen uh, The Fog. I'd seen Escape from New York. Um, I was I, I should have been aware of Tom, but when we were casting Night of the Creeps, he came in uh, to to uh, to read for the role of Detective Cameron, and uh, he did the reading, and uh, he left the room, and I turned to Eileen Starger, who cast the movie, and I said, "That's the guy." Hmm. And what's interesting is he's different in all in all three of those movies Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and um it just turned out to be sort of um, a marriage made in heaven because uh he was very open to my direction and really brought something very special that i think is in some ways is the glue that holds that movie together Mm -hmm. and it's it's in such a you know, uh, I'd hate to say silly idea of a movie. You've got some. He, it's he deals, a silly idea of a movie. Well, I just. <laughs> <laughs> he deals with a lot of deep, dark stuff in that movie. Like you have yeah. a scene where he's he's almost going to commit suicide, where he's saying, right. you know, he's got the the oven on and he's about to, you know, take himself out, and you're like, oh crap! Like this is this is some dark stuff and that we're dealing with. He's getting drunk and uh, yeah. w- and whistling to himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we were all watching that, going like, what is, where's going? What's going on with the? 
And he's just like, oh, I got to go out. Oh, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> it was a it was a unique character and I think it was really the perfect blending of us mm-hmm. of a script that needed an actor and an actor who needed something that he could sink his teeth into. Mm-hmm. Did any like uh producers get involved to like try to edit it out like certain scenes that you wanted or did you get to keep everything you wanted in the film? Well, if, if, if for fans of that particular movie, the original ending was jettisoned before we finished it and released yeah. it. Yeah, and that, that's the one we saw with the with the spaceship at the end. Yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. So that was the that was the ending that I intended to bookend the beginning, where we mm-hmm. see these aliens dropping these uh, these canisters with the creeps in them. And so I was very disappointed uh, that we did a sort of a cheesy uh, a cheap scare ending. <laughs> Um, but when we redid the movie for uh, DVD and Blu-ray, um, not all that long ago, um, I said, listen, I'm happy to be involved with this, but I would love to bring back the old ending. Mm-hmm. So there, so that the original director's cut, that we now call that the director's cut, is the one that has the correct ending. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I, I was quite pleased to have that out there in the world. That's great. The uh, the slugs in it, how did you, who, who came up with that idea and... and um, because they look, it's all practical effect. Obviously, it's mm-hmm. there's yep. no there's oh, there's no CGI at the time, but um, or very little of it. But um, uh, the slugs, I thought, were was that um, something you came up with, or was that something that that the special effects guys I kind of rigged up? Because well, the way they move is just very. Believe it or not, they're actually um, uh, motorized race cars. Really? Oh, that's oh, a, okay. They're, they're yeah. battery-operated race cars, and then um, I don't know if it was David Miller who did our makeup special effects or who exactly came up with the notion of being of, of, of rigging them so they could actually sort of wiggle. You're right, right. So they were made of rubber. They were cast in rubber, and uh, when the wiggling happens, it looks like they're actually organic creatures. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, moving around. Yeah, that's uh, great. Yeah, it's a great movie. It's it's a lot of fun. We had a good time watching it. Yeah. Um, is there a, particularly with that movie? Is there anything that if you go back? Is there anything that you would want to do differently? Or is it, watching it now? Do you still are you still happy with it? Or, or are there any changes you would you would make to it? I can't think of any. I mean, I was you know twenty six years old right. or something like that, and I was doing the best I could. And all of my influences are on my sleeve in that yeah. movie. You can you can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of Spielberg. Uh, uh, lifts in that movie mm-hmm. um, but at the end of the day it is what it is yeah so did you uh, did you write it going in knowing that you wanted to direct it as well or yes. did you okay so yes. you didn't want to just write it as oh a no 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 it was specifically written as my directing debut oh, okay. and that's also why it has so many uh, genres it's a it's a mm-hmm. it's a genre blend it's like okay you want to do you want to do a romance I can do that look yeah you yeah want to do a zombie movie yeah, I can do that you want, you want a comedy yeah I can do that <laughs> No, and I thought it was, it was very clever as well doing the the black and white at the beginning. Oh, yeah. Yes, to that kind was of the nineteen fifties to, to separate great, yeah. that time the time jump and everything yeah. it was great. It sounds simple, but the fact is that the at that time when we were you know m- making movies on film, mm-hmm. waiting for the laugh, making movies <laughs> on film. On what? Back when we did that, yeah. you had to uh, you, you know to do to do black and white in a color movie. You mm-hmm. had to print it on a on stock that wouldn't uh, have a tin tint to it oh so we had to do some tests to make sure that the black and white section didn't look slightly sepia tone or slightly uh, blue okay. or something yeah. like that um a boring anecdote but i thought i'd share it of course no yeah yeah please um, have you we, met chad he does nothing but boring anecdotes. yeah <laughs> they lead nowhere <laughs> <laughs> 
Have you listened to this podcast? <laughs> no one has. <laughs> um, uh, but the 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 Godzilla screenplay, I really want to ask. So, what um, uh, what what was your vision for that? What what did you what did you end up like putting down? What what did you want to see as Godzilla doing? Or what was your what was that about? It was kind of a, a, a predictable paint by numbers of what you would expect that movie to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only sort of plot twist that I added was that we did a scene where the military shows up in Mexico and they think that there's this giant reptilian creature and they find it dead on the beach. Mm. And so that was the twist, was we thought that would be Godzilla, but it's not. So they, they transport it to the Presidio in San Francisco for study so the scientists can decide what it is. And it turns out that it's a baby Godzilla and that it's mom or it's dad. It, it doesn't matter to me, but it's, it's, it, it's being pursued or, or, or to be saved by a much larger, more fearsome version of itself. So San, so San Francisco becomes... Uh, the, uh, the the playground for Godzilla to show up looking for the baby. Oh, uh, that was sort of the the, the broad uh, concept of the movie. And had you always been a Godzilla fan, or is it just something that you just want to work on? No, Steve Miner was a big Godzilla mm. fan, and he talked Toho into uh, producing the first American Godzilla mm. film that had ever been done, mm. f- f- uh, English language, fully filmed here, and uh, he, for some reason, hired me to write it. Wow. And did you guys have to pitch to Toho to get their seal of approval? I or? believe he did, but he had two hits under his belt. Mm. He'd done Friday mm. the 13th Part 2 and mm. Part 3 in 3D. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to do Godzilla 3D as well. Mm. Oh. It's interesting, like in 2014, we get a Godzilla that attacks San Francisco. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's like, there's no, mm. there's no new ideas. Mm. <laughs> I'm also, I'm also want to know how much James Gunn owes you for Slither. Yeah. Because yeah. I feel like um, he did a little... I mean, homage is a little. Uh... You know what? I saw the movie. I don't really see it, but, <laughs> but that's okay. Okay, right. fair enough. Sense. I'll agree to disagree. <laughs> I think he owes you a check. James yeah. has been nice to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then so we, all of us are wearing some. Well, most of us are wearing oh, some. Uh, yeah. Some. Monster yes. Squad merch, of uh, course. Uh, Watson is wearing a Wolfman's Got Nard shirt. I'm wearing a Monster Squad shirt. We have some merch Which, here on the table. Story about this shirt: I wore this at a party at a that was at a nightclub, and Joss Whedon was there, and he saw the shirt and loved it so much he took a picture of it. Did, huh? Is that true? Is that for real? That is for oh, real. Wow. Oh wow! So yeah. somewhere on, on one of Joss Whedon's old phones is a picture of me drunk <laughs> with the shirt on. He's probably drunk off. He's probably he was just like Wolfman's Got Nard. That's great. Maybe maybe you being drunk was more interesting to him than the show. Possibly, yeah, yeah, that could be. <laughs> you know this. Yeah, this was all pre that stuff. So yeah, possibly. Um, but yeah, Monster Squad. Um, and I think I've told you this before, especially in my correspondence with you in the past through email. It's probably one of the most influential films, certainly of my life. I know Watson is as I. I was one of those kids that I mean, you know, you watch that movie and they're they're doing the little Monster Squad business cards. Yeah, I made those business cards as a child. Yeah. Oh. I had those. I made um, them up. I watched it probably when I was I was maybe ten or eleven, and it was a it came on television, and I had no idea what it was because I had missed the. I mean, it was eighty seven, so I, you know, I, and um, I I didn't know what it was. I was like, what is this? And it, it, it was like within the first five minutes, I was like completely hooked, and I was like, it's a kids movie, yeah. And they're taking on, and I always loved Universal Monsters. I was always a fan of them as a kid. And I was like, what, what? They're taking on the Universal Monsters mm-hmm. and their kids? The ultimate badasses. The ultimate yeah. badasses, yeah. And, oh, and they're, they're kids that I want to hang out with. They're, they don't really give a shit. Mm-hmm. They talk horrendously, which as a kid, you love that. 
they're not we were all doing that anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, they're not really afraid, and they're they go out and they 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 want to protect people from from the monsters, particularly from Dracula, who's really the most terrible one of all <laughs> of all the group. Yeah. And uh, I loved it. And then so I, I watched this film. And it came on maybe about a couple months later, and I watched it again. And then for the next. 10, 15 years, I couldn't find this movie anywhere. And I would always tell people about Monster Squad. Every time I went to a video store, I'd look for it. Every time I, I always wanted to buy it on, on VHS, mm -hmm. never got to, never found it. And then finally, when I was an adult, I think in what, 2007, 2008, mm -hmm. they finally released the DVD. And I was one of the first people in line to buy it. Yeah. And I was like so excited to see, finally see Monster Squad for the first time in over a decade. Um, I mean, this was, I mean, I love, uh, back in the day, like going, I mean, yet again, again, feel old, everybody, um, <laughs> going to a VHS store, going to the video store yes. and you know, there'd be a sea of these you know, covers Yes. And, and, and Stan here has the VHS copy of the monster squad and it's got one of the best covers of all the kids on Dracula's car. You got the monsters behind yeah. them and it just immediately grabs you immediately. Yes. You're like, what is this? What's going on here? Right. And I remember as a kid, like it was like those movies like this, like Beastmaster, and like you know uh, that just you, you just the. Are the... you comparing Monster Squad and Beastmaster? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm just talking about cover art in general. Oh, okay. Like back in the day, I feel like you know people really you know could hook you with a really good uh, uh, piece of art like that. Yes. You know, a poster or something that could really just grab your, your imagination. Um, Monster Squad. Uh... <laughs> And what's wrong with Beastmaster? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that poster art is the is the one sheet poster from the uh, release of the movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the problem with Monster Squad, I'm very proud of it, and it, uh, clearly it has its fans. But the problem with the movie is that it tanked at the box office. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, that was um, a bitter pill to swallow for me because Night of the Creeps had been released re regionally; it wasn't released everywhere. Mm. Mm -hmm. And did not do particularly well, and uh, so Monster Squad was my second bomb in a row, and uh, that's that's tough, particularly if you know making movies is the thing that you want to do more than anything else. Yeah. And so, how did you come up with the idea of Monster Squad? What what was it about this particular project that really got you interested? And in, and where did you pull the idea out? And, and well, I had grown up on the Universal Monster movies. Uh -huh. Um, and seen them all, mostly at three o'clock in the morning, and um, you know had some very firm ideas about it. But but w what was what was interesting is that at the same time that I was a monster becoming a monster fan, I was a huge fan of most of the old comedians of the '30s and '40s. I loved the uh, I loved uh, Abbott and Costello. I mm. loved Laurel and Hardy. Uh, the Stooges not so much, um, but uh, I also loved the Little Rascals. And uh, so I had in my head, I had the Little Rascals, the Our Gang comedies, mm -hmm. yeah. and I had uh, Bud and Lou Costello, who were the biggest box office draws of the 40s, by the way. And they made a movie when they were sort of running out of ideas. They said, hey, we own these monsters because we made all these movies, the Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman. Let's have Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein. So that was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid a because movie. it combined those two worlds that mm -hmm. I loved so much. Mm -hmm. So um, I turned to Shane Black at some point when we were out of college and trying to break into the movie business. And I said, what if we did The Little Rascals Meet the Universal Monsters? And we, took, and we called it The Monster Squad. And we took it to Universal. And much to my endless amusement... They said, these 
this intellectual property, this IP doesn't mean anything to us. Really? That's insane. Jeez. And I said, okay. <laughs> and I realized, well, a lot of these are in the public domain. Now, mm -hmm. we can call yeah. them Wolfman. They might sue us, but they don't seem to give a shit. <laughs> so what if we do Frank Frankenstein's in the public domain. Dracula's yeah. in the yeah. public domain. Mm -hmm. these, these novels were, were you know written 150 years ago. Mm -hmm. So we sort of forged ahead, and we were very cautious. We knew that the creature might be a problem, mm -hmm. the, the creature from the Black Lagoon, because mm -hmm. uh, that was the 50s, so the copyright was still uh, in, in play. But the truth is they just didn't seem to care, and we were just a little bit cautious. We didn't go out of our way to... to, to uh, call attention to the fact that we were using intellectual property that right. Universal owned at that time. And um, and we just, we did it. We made Little Rascals meet the, mon the Universal Monsters and that's Monster Squad. Nice. And so um, with, with Monster Squad, what, um, when you, who who decided, was it, uh, did was that also something that you wanted to make sure and direct? Or did you just end up kind of falling into it? How, how did that work out with the director or were you? No, with I the I mean, I'd made a film yeah. in Night of the Creeps, and I said, what do I want to do next? Mm -hmm. And just uh, the fact that Creeps did not do all that well uh -huh. um, didn't uh, hinder me because it's my passion. That's what mm -hmm. I wanted to do. So, yeah, so Shane Black and I wrote the script together, and I said to my agent, I want to direct this next. I was in post-production on Creeps, actually, when we started to send it out, which is the smartest oh. way to conduct your careers. Mm -hmm. Always have the next one lined up before mm -hmm. you're done with the previous one. Mm. And uh, I um, was an enormous fan of a director-producer named Peter Hyams because I had seen uh, Capricorn One, and I just thought that was just terrific. And I said to my agent, I'd love to meet Peter Hyams. So um, uh, I guess... Peter read the script of Monster Squad, and he said, hey, I'll meet the kid. So I went to um, Sony Pictures, which was originally MGM, and it's now Sony, and he had a big office there. He had a deal at MGM. And uh, I walked into his office, and, they, and he had made uh, 2010. So HAL 9000 was on the wall of his office. Wow. Oh, and it was very daunting and nerve-wracking to be having a meeting with a hero of mine while Hal is watching us. Yeah. Is he going to suck all the oxygen out of the room or what's going to happen? And uh, I told Peter, listen, um, I've written this thing and I would love for you to produce it for me. And for some crazy reason, he agreed and wow. said he would do it. So it's a Peter Hyams production. Was it a long conversation or was it just kind of a... It was the beginning of a relationship that lasted for, you know, a year and a half. Mm -hmm. um, I think he, I don't know if he was looking to mentor a young filmmaker, but mm. that's kind of what it came down to is he, he really enjoyed being a producer. He'd come in and go, you're, you're, you're screwing that up. That's not, you know, don't do that. And uh, he was a hero of mine. So I was like, oh, great. Okay, tell me, yeah. what, tell me what I should do. Right. So it ended up to be a nice collaboration. Yeah, that's great. Is it hard to push? I mean, you know, you're talking... You know, I'm sure 85, 86 here, where where like these these Universal monsters, like you said, Universal didn't want anything to do with them. The the monsters of that day seemed kind of passe. Like like everyone, I'm sure, is looking to like Freddy Krueger and and Jason. And was it hard to push the idea of like, no, we want to do these, or, or were people trying to come back with like, why don't you make a more modern? Um, monsters and stuff like that i have to be honest i've had tremendous amount of luck in my career as meager as it is 
in, in regard to saying, here's what I want to do, here's the script, mm-hmm. and what else do you need to know? And they're like, oh, that sounds good. Wow. Mm, that's, that's amazing. Awesome. Um, and putting the kids together, did you have an idea for what these kids had, their personalities and, and who you wanted to play them? Or were they, because they're all pretty much newcomers, right? A lot of the actors at the time. Yeah, no, there's, there, traditionally there haven't been at, at any one time a, a bunch of great kid actors. I mean, Disney, right. uh, Disney had its, its little pool of actors in the 60s and the 50s, but they were basically characters that Shane and I had written, and uh, we had a wonderful um, casting director named Penny Perry, and Penny brought these kids in, and they would read the part, and if it if it came to life for us, we'd go, hey, we got to think of that kid for this role, yeah. we got to think of that kid for this role, and then it's a ma- and then it's a matter of making sure that they all have different voices and look different, so right. that you don't sort of forget which one is which, and obviously Andre Gower playing Sean, he was sort of the leader of the squad mm-hmm. and Patrick is sort of the bumbling sidekick <laughs> and you know and everybody else Horace and Phoebe they all have their own uh, you know part in the play mm-hmm. and um, it worked out really well since you oh since you were uh, such a monster fan and buff were one of the kids like off of your personality like you wrote them kind of connected to yourself in any way or that's a great question uh, not consciously I'm sure that all of them have a little bit of me in them. Okay. And so, um, how much um, for the, with the kids themselves? I I know that Steven Spielberg has famously talked about he's he's put it out in public that um, working with the kids in Goonies was difficult because it's a bunch of young young boys and and were children basically. Did you run into the same kind of thing on uh, on the set of Monster Squad, kind of corralling them because you know they're eleven, twelve years old. They're bouncing off the walls. You know, was, was I've, I've heard those stories too, and I, mm-hmm. and I was lucky enough to work with Dick Donner uh, uh, on a couple of things, mm-hmm. and um, I love him. And uh, I think he's kind of a big kid himself, um, and maybe I'm the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, but these particular kids, I didn't really have much problem with. Mm-hmm. I, I, they were easily tamed. Yeah. I think it may be the chemistry of the Goonies was a little different than the group that I mm-hmm. had. Right, yeah. Right. When when casting your Dracula, what were you looking into? Like, were you looking at um, a Bela Lugosi or a Christopher Lee, or a, like, were you trying to find something new in that character, or were you trying to go for an archetype kind of thing? Maybe an archetype. I mean, Dracula is 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 a tricky role because he's traditionally been played as sort of. There's a sexual component that nobody talks about, mm-hmm. but it's yeah. clearly mm-hmm. there. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he hypnotizes women and he takes them into his uh, his you know underground lair, and there's clearly a subtext going on there. For me, the important thing was that he was scary, mm-hmm. and I don't mean gnashing his teeth, although he does that. <laughs> I, I don't mean him doing things that were scary, but just standing there having a kind of a, 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 a an attitude that would make the kids really stop in their place and, and be worried about what their next move is. Mm. Mm. And Duncan Regeer did that in spades. He was yeah. very Shakespearean. Yeah. He was very this sort of gaunt um, figure who's who brooks no quarter, and uh, he, he really brought it. Um, there's some really, like, jarring scenes in that movie. Um, I think one of the first ones that really stuck out with me when I first watched it was when Dracula comes to the present and he has those girls in the closet mm-hmm. and the next time we see him they're like his brides like they've mm-hmm. been turned oh, yeah. 
And I was like, holy shit. Like, I remember watching that as a kid and be like, terrified of him because, well, because that, of that how closet is his refrigerator. That's where he keeps his food. <laughs> yeah, <out>. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, the other one that really struck out to me is, especially as a kid, even to an adult his day, is the, uh, the Holocaust survivor. Who has the uh, the the number on, on his on his uh, mm-hmm. on his arm? Mm-hmm. And he says, "Well, I've I've, I've faced other monsters before." He yeah. tells the kids, yeah. mm-hmm. and then Heavy we line. see the scene. It's just it's a very so subtle, good. just a, a a shot of his hand of his arm. Yeah, and and I, and that's it. You don't need any more context. Than exactly. That, which is yeah. Beautiful. And 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 it's never really touched upon in the film. It's just like this is what he's gone through. He's seen worse than than Dracula right. and his and his minions. Yeah, I was very pleased with that. It, it's very poetic and simple and uh, doesn't need to be explored more yeah. than it is. Mm-hmm. No. Who who came up with the idea of having Wolfman be like this reluctant um villain, which I thought was amazing cuz throughout the entire movie he's he doesn't Stan still thinks Wolfman's the hero. Of the yeah, movie. <laughs> he he's constantly pleading to be locked up at, at, when the, the when the moon comes and and he's he he doesn't want to hurt anybody, but he's constantly being locked up and and at the end, I know um, uh, the original Wolfman was 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 like that as well. Yeah. But um, uh, it still stays, it still hits me <laughs> to this day when he's in the final battle and he's shot. Yeah. And then he says he's dying. He he kind of picks his head up and he says thank you and he dies. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh. Yeah. Oh, to this day it still gets to me. Yeah, that's uh, Jonathan Grice, wonderful actor. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, yeah. the, the truth is the concept of the Wolfman who wants to be. Uh, uh, you know, to have this curse lifted from him is not mm-hmm. new. That's a ripoff of from Lon Chaney Jr. character, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, Jonathan brought something that was very human and very relatable. And I remember when we did that, where he where uh, where he gets shot with the silver bullet, and uh, and we were talking, and I and I just whispered to him, I said, "When you say thank you, make it a question, mm-hmm. because you've been living with this for so long. Is it really over now? So next time you see the movie." Oh, man. Oh, yeah. when, when he says thank you, he's kind of asking more, yeah. than, more than telling. Oh, man. Yeah, I didn't think, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely going to rewatch that now. <laughs> well, his and his transformation scene in the um, in the phone booth. Mm. Oh, yeah. Is yeah. so well done. So well done, yeah. That was, and, that was second unit directed by Peter Hyams. Wow. Oh, that wow. entire sequence is Peter's. And, I mean, we've talked about it uh, mm. between us, just like how hard it is after, you know, American Werewolf in, in London. Yes. How do you, how do you, you know, how do you try not, you know, it's hard to top that in terms of transformation. Well, you also have to remember that The Howling was the year before. Oh, oh that's, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. And in fact, Rick Baker was, uh, uh, Rob Bottin was going to do, because he had worked on Piranha, he was going to do The Howling for Joe, uh-huh. but had already, uh, Rick Baker had agreed to Landis that he would do it. So <laughs> anyway, both of the greatest werewolf, practical werewolf transformations of all time were done within two years. Right, so crazy. Right. So I don't think there was ever a moment where we said, well, we can top those. We just, well, <laughs> you know, we have Stan Winston. Yeah. Yeah. So suck on that. No. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> If you go, yeah, go hard, go big, like exactly, that. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you see any um, uh, when watching Stranger Things? I, I'm reminded of the father, and 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 uh, and the the father in, in Monster Squad, played by Stephen Mock. Um, I'm like, well, that's that's uh, that's kind of the same thing. There is it. Uh, have you seen Stranger Things at all? And I have it, seen all of Stranger yeah. Things. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you agree with uh, with that? It's just kind of, it's, it's, oh, that's uh, how many checks do they owe you? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Uh, my only problem with Stranger Things is that they haven't asked me to direct episodes. Mm. That's right. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, heard it here first. Mm-hmm. Get Fred Decker. That's right. <laughs> I think they're done now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's the last season coming out. I don't. Yeah, know, it's last season. Yeah. Oh, with um, 
Tom Noonan as yeah, Frankenstein. Yeah, I was just about to ask. Yeah, oh. let's just go ahead. The, but I mean, like, I, I was very drawn into his arc. Was it always the same where he would get attached to the um, children when he goes to, like, infiltrate? Well, clearly and, that's a steal from the original yeah. 19, yeah. 1931 film with the little girl at the mm-hmm. lake. Um, but I think it's it's keying into the notion that everyone thinks of him as this as this piteous monster, but he's actually, I mean, he he actually just wants to be accepted. Right. Yeah. Right. So in the in this innocent little girl, he sees a kindred spirit. Mm. That was my feeling about it. Okay. And I I love how, I mean, pretty much every monster in there is being driven by Dracula. He's he's like the most evil one, like the. Wolfman doesn't really want to be a part of it. Frankenstein is just kind of trying to be accepted. Mm-hmm. Creature from the Back Lagoon is just a creature, you know, and he's just... <laughs> he's just know, there for, ju- he's just for there, the laughs, you know, man. And the mummy is kind he's of like He's just this, there for shits and giggles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's having a good old time. And the mummy is just kind of like, yeah, same uh, thing. He's kind the of the shumbling thing, but it's it's Dracula, the one that's driving and pushing him. Um, was that was that how you always want? Is that how you guys always wanted to see it? Was Dracula? I, I, I being think a, I think so because it's really hard as we've just sort of made fun of to make any of those creatures sort of the star of their own movie. Mm-hmm. So the, the the beauty of the monster rally is that you have the leader in the in this case Count Dracula and the rest of them are sort of doing his bidding and that makes that that makes for a very solid uh, plot. Right, um, and in the studio never. Try to interfere, give notes, or anything. they just kind of left you to to your own devices. Absolutely. Oh wow! Yeah. So when it was completed, how um, how did they go about trying to market it? Is were they interested in marketing it, or, or were they just kind of like, what is this? Uh, how how did that work out? Uh, well, I think they had to be interested because they put money in it. But there <laughs> is a certain what is this quality. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, mm-hmm. we did. We made the best movie we could. Right. It's then up to them to sell it properly. I think this, the way that they sold it had a certain sort of tongue-in-cheek quality, which mm-hmm. I don't blame them for. Mm-hmm. I mean, the truth is it, it's, a, it's a strange movie. It's a kind of an outlier movie. Yeah. Um, and I, I can't really blame them. They, they definitely spent money to try and sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some movies find their audience when they come out. Some it takes decades. How did you feel when you when you felt this resurgence of, of the Monster Squad? Oh, yeah. Did you did you ever see that coming, or or was it cult it was following? kind of a surprise? Yeah, because yeah. it's really cold falling now, beloved by the kids that grew up watching it. Yeah, it was um it was a surprise. Mm-hmm. It was a surprise, but but uh, I, I wish I could say that uh, that it was a. a made up for the fact that the, the movie didn't do well when it came out. Mm. Um, the analogy that I've used, and it's it's in the movie Wolfman's Got Nards, yeah. which is a, a wonderful <laughs> film about uh, Monster Squad right. and, and yeah. its legacy. And, and I say in that, and I can't top my, my uh, analogy, which is it's like, it's like shooting a basket and then waiting 20 years to see it go in. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great film. And then... Uh, I I I told you before we we started the podcast, but it was one of the one of, definitely one of the films that inspired me to to be a writer, which is what I'm trying to do now. Because when I first saw it, I was um, again I was like nine or ten years old, whatever I was. It, it and I knew that people wrote films, but I didn't really you know put it together because I was still a kid. And then I, I watched Monster Squad, and I was like, wow, somebody actually sat down and had a great time with a great idea of writing this and put it together. And mm-hmm. I was like fascinated by that. So it was just um, I I've been waiting to say it for many years, Fred Decker. Thank you, 
for for doing that movie. It's just uh, and and Shane Black because it was just so influential, and it's just, no, just to you. this day I'm still mm-hmm. I'm st- I'm still awed by the by the film. It's, thank you very much. Yeah, it means a lot to me. Um, and uh, I. I, 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 we need to ask you about uh, RoboCop 3, which is obviously one of the, again, uh, I, I don't care what people say, and I've said it on the podcast before, and I'll defend it till the day I die. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great film. I love it. I liked it as a kid, and I don't know why it gets the hate it does nowadays, but um, I... Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did that end up happening with you being behind RoboCop 3? Um. The truth is that um, uh, it was just offered to me. Now, part of this is there's mm. a wonderful, uh, there was a, a dear friend of mine, Michelle Manning, who mm-hmm. was an executive at Orion. And I think she she urged uh, the powers that be at Orion Pictures to look at Monster Squad and see that there is a world where you can make something that's got a hard edge, but that also can appeal to a wider audience. Mm. And the problem with the, it isn't a problem, but the RoboCop films, you know, they're very funny and they're very uh, um, uh, kind of crazed, Mm -hmm. but, but they're also, they were both the first two R rated and, I think what happened was they were selling toys. They were selling RoboCop toys yeah. and and the equivalent of coloring books and all the stuff that <laughs> that, that goes with kid stuff. Yeah, right. yeah. And they were like, but these movies are R-rated. Mm-hmm. And so they the, the corporate decision was we should do a PG uh, or a PG-13 mm-hmm. RoboCop. So again, they were looking at, at Monster Squad, which although it was not a successful movie, was successful, I think, creatively in creating something that was PG-13 that straddled that line between hmm. a kid movie and a movie that older audiences would like. So I think that was one of the reasons that they hired me because uh, they saw that I could do that. And were you into RoboCop prior to that? Was it something that you Oh, I love the first yeah. movie. I think it's yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so when you got the opportunity, um, I, 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 I we listened to the DVD commentary and... Um, what do they, they say? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was already apparently already a script uh, that was written. Yes, the Frank uh, Miller script. Yeah, the Frank. Mm-hmm. But, and so you saw it, and you and there's something that you really wanted to go with, right? Well, I'm a huge fan, uh, and certainly was at that time, of Frank Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Frank Miller reinvented Batman. The Batman mm-hmm. that we know today is Frank Miller's Batman. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. Right. Yep. And uh, so I was a huge fan of his, and I thought, well, geez, a Frank Miller script, great. Um, and then I did do some work on the script. I did rewrite it um, because I'm not sure. I love Frank, and I think he's a genius. But I'm not sure he ever cracked how to write a screenplay mm-hmm. as opposed to a comic story that is transferred to the screen. Mm-hmm. And when I look at the films that he's directed and the films that he wrote that um, uh, uh, th- that were made from his work, I see the same thing. It's kind of mm-hmm. like that's not quite – that's a comic book. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a movie, mm-hmm. and so the changes that I made were really to make it more of a movie. So there's more. There was I added action sequences and I added visual stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, not that he isn't a great artist, but um, even toning it down, I think Frank's work doesn't. I mean, if you tone it down, it isn't Frank anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So I had to do that really for the studio because that's what they hired me for. Mm-hmm. Did you get to meet Frank? Oh yeah, we worked, work? we worked together. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. And we had you know me- Mexican food near Paramount Pictures and <laughs> shot the shit, and um, he was great. That's awesome. Yeah. Now I, I read that they wanted to start production on RoboCop three pretty much like right after filming RoboCop two. 
Is that does that sound accurate? No, because when I got the job, I went and saw RoboCop too. Oh, okay. So mm. it was in the theaters already. Oh, um, so I shouldn't listen to the internet. <laughs> okay. Well, nobody's going to make a sequel until they've seen how the previous one does. Mm. Okay. Mm. So I think they looked at the box office at, Ro- at, at Robo Two before they greenlit Robo Three. Mm-hmm. You also have to know that the 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 studio, Orion Pictures, was in financial straits at that time. Yeah, right. Yeah. And they were filing bankruptcy. So every anything that they made sort of had to be a sure bet or it had to be something they'd already spent money on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was a it was a precarious time okay. at that studio. Um I also read they, they paused production in the middle of filming like for a year. Is that sound accurate too? Nope. Or? Nope. Okay. Nope. All right. What they did was we shot the movie and then they paused the release for a year. Oh, That's okay. I see. Okay, and um, so the so you, you get RoboCop and um, the so you get Frank Miller's script. Start working with him. What was the vision for this movie itself? Was it something that was what we ended up seeing? Was that what you wanted uh, it to be with RoboCop standing up to the rehab people, um, with with uh, uh, the the people who were being pushed out standing up to OCP, um, and this like heavily like. Uh, Japanese corporation influence on OCP is that is that the overall vision that you wanted? Yeah, and and mm. a lot of that was Frank. Frank, I think, mm. brought brought in the Japanese element because he's done a lot. A lot of his work mm-hmm. has Japanese component to it. Right. Um, you know, the samurai uh, and, and all that. And so I was, I thought that was cool yeah. by itself. Um, but but the the bigger picture is I think it's a it's a it's a real left wing kind of paradigm. <laughs> Yeah, and I think mm. that for all the brickbats that the movie gets, and for all of the shit that people throw at it, 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 it its heart I think is really in the right place because what it's saying is the corporation is dangerous, mm-hmm. and uh, when you look at the world that we're in right now, um, <laughs> Warner Brothers, <laughs> <laughs> you see, cr- you know, creative choices being dictated by, by. Financial considerations, and mm-hmm, yeah. when your business is creativity, and you're letting the bottom line, you know, ruin that aspect right. of mm-hmm. it. So this was really a movie about, you know, fascism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I very consciously made the rehabs look like Nazis. Yeah, yeah, and um, and I'm really proud of that because mm-hmm. the day that we forget what Nazis are, we might as well all just jump off a cliff. Mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, just like Monster Squad, I think there's a lot of jarring scenes in in RoboCop three. And and again, I probably wa- I watched this. I was a demographic for it, I guess. What the studio thought the the demographic should be. I was a, I was a kid. I was twelve, thirteen, whatever it was. At that time, they were aiming a lot of radar stuff. At, I mean, it was kids, weird yeah. to see like we had Terminator toys. Mm-hmm. There was. Aliens, Predator, you know, yeah. um, they all got action figures. I, right. The Rambo, Rambo had a cartoon series. Right, that's like, right, yeah. It's a weird time to think about all these, like, radar properties that were being uh, given to kids. Right, yeah. And RoboCop definitely was one of those. Well, and, and so, like, I was telling you before the podcast started, I was, I was raised by a single mother, and she worked all the time. So a lot of my, I guess, uh, a part, part of my moral compass came from television movies that I watched. And at the time, it was it was... Especially in the eighties and nineties, we had we had kind of gray characters who were who were the the good guys, right? Yeah. Quote unquote. But it always skewed towards justice. It always skewed towards if you're a bad guy, if you treat people 
um, if you treat people badly, you will lose because yeah. the the bad guys probably the good guys probably going to get his ass kicked a couple times, but he's going to come back and win. But one of the great scenes in that in RoboCop three was when OCP orders the cops to go into the into the uh, uh, the neighborhoods and, mm, and evict oh yeah. all the people. Yeah, and the cops are like uh, the police chief. Uh, saying, well, that's kicking people out of their homes is not a cop's job. Yeah, he yeah. says, and he takes his badge off. He's like, "Fuck this, I'm not doing this." And <laughs> I'm, 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 and he throws down his badge, and then the rest of the cops are like, yeah, "The hell with this!" And they start throwing. And the OCP uh, suit is standing there. It's like, "You are all employees of OCP." You know, and he's like yelling at him, and he's like, "You're giving up your benefits." And I love that, that Robertson. Part. And, yeah, and as yeah. A, and they're just throwing down their badges at his feet and just walking out, and they join the people who are being evicted against yeah. the rehab personnel. Yeah. Well, it's a great arc for, I mean, through all three movies, you see right. the cops in the first movie becoming, you know, corporate, corp, you know, they work for a corporation. Right. The second one, they're on strike. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then by the third one, they're just, they're like, this is, this is not working. Yeah. You know, yeah. the, the, the capitalist system of taking care of people is not working. Yeah. You know, it is a, a little bit of socialism, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> but no, it's, it's a, it's a great arc for the, for the cops. Yeah. Yeah. Was that also Frank Miller's script? That was also his with the cops walking out? Uh, no. I believe so. Yeah. Wow. Oh. I mean, the question is what, I mean, the, the title of these movies is RoboCop. Right. Yeah. Which by itself is kind of interesting because it's saying, is this a machine and its right. job is to uphold the law? Well, how can a machine uphold the law unless mm-hmm. it's programmed by another uh, ent- uh, 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 entity right. mm-hmm. that maybe doesn't want to take responsibility for doing it? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it might be the wrong place for a PG-13 kids action adventure to have that kind of political perspective. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think twice about it. Yeah. And, and I think some of the best stuff in the movie is that kind of thinking. Absolutely. Yeah. We're just, we're, here's what it's about, folks. Pay attention. Well, like, I, I was even younger than Stan here seeing it. And I'll admit, a lot of the plot went over my head because I just see a robots and, yeah. and all that. But <laughs> want more Ed 209. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and watch it, like, when we watched it recently, I was like, oh, man, there's so much I missed. Yeah. That I was like, this is much better. Than from what I remember, and, and you know. watching it now, the the crop of actors you have, like some amazing, 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 oh yeah, you know, oh, you got you know CCH Pounder, CCH Pounder you got uh, yeah. Bradley Whitford, yes. you got uh, Stephen Root, you yes. know, yep. it, it's just insane. They're powerhouses in this movie. Yeah. Um. Did and was that a cat? Was that the cast that, that you wanted specifically? Oh like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. yeah. 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 And, uh, and and how was it working with some of them? I mean, Rip Torn was in it. I mean, my God. That's, <laughs> I, I have a Rip Torn yeah. story. He's not with us anymore, so I yeah, can yeah. share this. There was a day where uh, we were doing the scene, and I was doing, I was directing however I was directing, and he was acting however he was acting. And he comes up to me after the take, and he said, Oh, I thought it was Air Raid. Oh, <laughs> oh those are motorcycles outside, yeah. Oh. Okay, we'll wait for the air raid to end. <laughs> it's like London, 1943. <laughs> so we did it. We did a take, and uh, and uh, Rip Torn comes up to me and he says, "I feel like I'm a trained dog when I'm working with you." And I think he was upset, <laughs> but I sort of took it as a as a moment of pride. <laughs> yeah. And I've only really found out recently because I've been doing a little bit of uh, of a book about the actor studio. Mm. Rip was one of the key figures in in the in the actor studio in the fifties mm. and oh, changing gosh, the yeah. whole landscape of actors. And I was mm. like, had I known that, I probably wouldn't have been such a dick. 
Uh, did you ever ask him about the Norman Mailer story? I did not. No, that, <laughs> no, I would definitely ask him about that because you probably would open up and be like, yeah, I did oh, it. Oh man, yeah, yeah. It was I was in character. What do you want from me? <laughs> you know, I would have loved that. Um, but interesting uh, time. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, uh, he was in a movie that Norman Mailer was directing, and they were supposed to be. It was, it was obviously a, they were acting that they were supposed to be fighting. And Rip Torn actually hit him in the head with a hammer. Yeah, it's all on, oh, yeah. You can watch it all. It's on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Man, it's uh, it's wild. Yeah. He was a he was a real character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was a real character. And the reason that he was cast in the movie was that um, um, somebody helped me. Who played the old man in the other two Robocop movies? Oh yes, oh, um, Dan O'Hurley. Yeah, yeah. Dan uh, decided not to do the movie. He read the script, mm-hmm. and he decided that because OCP was sort of taken down at the end, mm. that that signaled that the old man had failed and he was weak. Oh. And he said, this is not a weak man. Mm. And we had a wonderful lunch before we finished the script, and we were lo- I was looking forward to working with him, but he mm. decided not to play the part because he didn't like how it depicted that character. Mm. Oh. oh, interesting. Yep. Huh. In the, uh, there was a recent game that came out, uh, Robocop Rogue City, and it takes place between the second movie and the third movie, mm. and it kind of uh, leads into the third movie with uh, the Japanese element company mm-hmm. kind of buying OCP, mm-hmm. and uh, how they handle his character is that um, he was uh, plotting to make an army of Robocop 2s. Mm. The one, and um, he actually... Because Robocop 2 worked out so well. I know. <laughs> I know. And he uh, he apparently has a heart attack in the game and he puts his own brain in the Robocop suit and you fight him. <laughs> See, there you at go. At the end of the game. Uh, and, uh, there's and, there's yeah. the next sequel. So it was go. like... There it is, yeah. So is that, that was their kind of way, I guess, as to showing the fall of OCP where uh, Mako's company... Had to uh, come in and like help him up. Can we switch chairs here? Because I've never said this uh, for public consumption. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I don't think I've told anybody. It's just my own little. You know how we have our little secrets that are just ours. Mm-hmm. If you were to ask me, is there a, what would you do differently if you had it to do over again? Mm-hmm. And uh, part of this is fan service. Part of it is audience service. Um, but I think I made a big mistake in this movie. And the mistake is that in the third act of the movie, mm-hmm. when Robo is getting the crap beat out of him and the homeless are being mowed down by the evil corporation and the rehabs and all that stuff, what I should have done is suddenly there's a big loud screeching of metal and everybody turns <laughs> and a wall opens up and there's Nancy Allen and oh. she's RoboCop 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Wow. And why it took me 30 <laughs> years to think of that, I just can't uh, can't say. Look, if Lucas can keep making special editions and changing his movie, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you exactly. can see it. But I disagree with yeah. that. If you want to talk seriously about, about cinema. You think when once the final print is done, it's done? I think so. Yeah. I think, I mean, I you know, Star Wars was a huge movie for me. Yeah. yeah. And I was a teenager, so it wasn't like I was a little kid. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, crap, this is the future. This guy is a, is a master. Yeah. I loved that movie, and I loved uh, the second one as well. But going back and tinkering with these movies, ad infinitum, I think does a real disservice to mm-hmm. the movies and to us. Yeah. yeah. I, especially, I, I have issues with it, when, especially that movie won uh, Best Editing, um, Oscar for best editing, mm-hmm. Star and, Wars. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. And you're changing the edit that won you an award, right? Like, mm. why, you know, I just like, why would you do that? But do you believe in director's cuts? Then, absolutely. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, like, I mean, um, I have the set of uh, editions of uh, Blade Runner. Ridley Scott's done, like, I think oh, it's four of, different yeah, kind of cuts. Like yeah. <laughs> one, one is his, like, final, final cut, yeah. which uh, I think has the narration in it from Harrison Ford, if I'm, if I'm correct. Mm. But, like, I... I, I always like to see that finality of like this is what the director uh, right. had in mind from the beginning. So I guess I mean the big difference being like you can still find all those other versions with that's with true. Star Wars those original oh yeah they're cuts hard. you can't find it don't exist anymore yeah. right right you know you can't find Which them on is, streaming you can't yeah. find them on physical media anymore yeah. unless you have the original you know tapes and then Coppola um, he did a recent cut of. Um, what was the I'm blanking on the Vietnam apocalypse? Apocalypse now. Yeah, he did another cut of that, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Is I mean, it's already so much in there." It's <laughs> I don't know. It's such a strange mindset. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, I think even if I even if MG whoever owns Orion now, I think it might be MGM, mm-hmm. but yeah, somebody else may own MGM now. But if somebody came to me and said, "Hey, like, I listened to your podcast, and uh, we would like to, you know, give you ten million dollars to mm-hmm. do your scene and bring Nancy back and mm-hmm. blah blah blah," I'd go, "I would love to do that, but why?" Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's the problem: is that so much of you know, if you're George Lucas or Ridley Scott or these people, you, you know, you. You can do kind of whatever you want at this yeah. point, but nobody could say no. I mean, George can pay for it out of his own pocket. Right. <laughs> but what if it's not the right thing to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly when it's more than one time. It's like if you haven't nailed it after three cuts, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> make a different movie. Yeah, right? yeah, that's a good point. What if it was a sequel and uh, you you had a chance to direct again for like RoboCop 4? Would you still consider Anne Lewis bringing her back as a... Uh, we just have to figure out how to do it. Oh, okay. yeah. I just think that would have been such an effective ending, and yeah. I think people would like the movie a lot more if we'd done that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there you have it. Um, I, I I listened to your DVD commentary, and one of the things you said was that about RoboCop Three was that you feel that you didn't take enough chances with it, and um, I, I I see what you mean with that. But I think one of the biggest shocks to me watching because I had been. A, a, I loved RoboCop as a kid, and I'd watch all. So I was really excited when the third one came out, and then Anne Lewis gets gunned down, mm-hmm. and I was like looking around, like, "What just happened? Like, it's, there's no, she's not dead. Like, if they, if you had done what what you just said about bringing her back, okay, well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But that's it. The movie ends, and I'm like, at the end, I remember watching it as a kid and thinking at the end of the movie, like, wait a minute, where's 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 Anne Lewis? Like, is she really dead? Right. And I th- and I think that was a huge risk that you took there, and it was it was definitely not playing it safe in that respect because you killed off a major character. And you said in the, I the the rumor has been that she wanted to be off, but in the DVD commentary you con- you contradicted it and said, well, it, it see we told her that she, we were going to kill her off, and then she wasn't very pleased about that. She wasn't. Yeah. So it, mm. it it I I think that you took a huge risk doing that. And what 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 made what motivated you to do that? Was it something that you just you wanted to shock the audience or what? what what was, behind, what was the reason behind that? Well, it wasn't nothing against Nancy. I love yeah. Nancy. Yeah. Um, I think what it was was really just to sell the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, I can't remember exactly the dialogue, but she says something to the degree of, uh, uh, you know, if you want to get in here, you're going to have to shoot through us. Yeah. 
and John Castle, wonderful British actor. I'm oh, yeah. so oh, yeah. happy with him. <laughs> and he says, I don't have a huge problem with that. And he shoots her yeah. and kills her dead in <laughs> right. front of the church. And I thought, well, that's pretty great. Let's do that. And then when Robo carries her up the altar oh, God. and he puts her down. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. And the idea of he's, I mean, I'm not remotely religious, but I know iconography when I see it. Yeah, And having having RoboCop let her die there in the church, Mm -hmm. and RoboCop himself is a resurrected dead Mm -hmm. guy. Yeah. It's like if you're into, you know, symbolism and stuff, that works pretty well. I, I could definitely see the comic book influence in that shot too, as he's walking her through the church. He's mm-hmm. you know he's carrying her yeah. through the church, and I, I I remember watching that as a kid and being so emotional because I didn't know that it was like I was like she she must be coming back, mm-hmm. but at the moment I was like oh this is a sad scene. But see she, she, here's the irony. You're right. If I had done that, if the uh, scene was exactly as it was, and then she came back, it's yeah. even better. Mm-hmm. Well, I I'm thinking about it now, like uh, him laying her to rest. I could see him not wanting her to be tortured like he is. Mm. You know, he's right. this robotic. So he should have punched her in the face. And I mean, yeah. <laughs> Go for a headshot. Her out of that, would, that would have yeah, definitely shot Headshot me to put her yeah. out of her misery. Because I know they Her last like, line is, you were bulletproof. Why, weren't, why wasn't I behind you? Because I, I, like in the first movie, at the end when she's all shot up, he's like, they'll fix you. You know, they fix mm. everything. Yeah. So it's like uh, the fact that that didn't hit his mind, I would think he's like, you know what? It's. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it well, felt like he was... I think you needed... and I'm just spitballing. But, like, you needed him to have, like, all those connections kind of severed for him to kind of join that resistance. Yeah. That's well. that's true. I think that's yeah. true. Yeah. I think yeah. that's true. I also think he had... He, I think that Robocop... That the, what remains of Murphy is tortured by mm-hmm. being in this in this uh, cybernetic organism. Mm, yeah, and and yeah. there's a part of him that maybe, and I didn't, Bob Burke and I never talked about this. This mm. is wh- this is actor stuff way beyond what we did in the movie. Mm-hmm. But if he really, if he really pinned me down, like how do I feel about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd say, you don't want her to go through what you went through. Mm-hmm. So put her out of her, let her die. Yeah. Because that's what she wants and that's what you want. And there's nothing you can do about it. Wow. Yeah, I just I, I it's it's such a, an iconic. It, yeah. As as a kid, just watching that, I remember just thinking like, oh my god, I, I, they can't be doing this. They can't. And her kind of bringing her back would have been like, oh yeah, of course. That's and, that's par for the well, course. Well, I have to say, yeah. in my defense, movies do that way too much. Right. Yeah, exactly. I do yeah. think yes. it would have been a great finale yeah. if she shows up and saves the day. Right. But in a way, we've seen that before. Exactly. And yeah. what we did was a little more honest. Yes, I. That's what I, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You're gonna say something. Else? I just want to touch on the casting of of, of Robert Burke as as uh, Murphy. Um, obviously, I, I feel like he kind of got a, a lot of heat as well after taking you know because you know everyone loves Peter Weller yeah, as that character, so but I mean it's a hard role to kind of come into, and I thought he did a great job. I thought you know like it's so I don't feel like he got his flowers for for taking that role on and putting that strapping that suit on right, yeah and doing his best to make it um believable and like a very seamless transition but yeah. you know all three movies feel like you could watch all three back to back and it does feel like it's one story mm-hmm. you know it doesn't feel like there's three directors and three different you know uh different groups and teams on them you know yeah. Yeah, like yeah. so i That's i just would love like was was casting him 
was it an easy process or was it hard to try and find someone to fill that role? Um, well, I have to be honest, part of it was finding somebody who would fit in Peter's suit because mm, right. we couldn't make a new suit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we did meet, meet a lot of actors, but, but the real answer is that Bob had an integrity mm-hmm. that to me was more important. I didn't want somebody uh, to do a Peter Weller impression. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's a mistake. When when you recast a role, I think that's a mistake. It never yeah. it never works. Um, so I was really happy with him. I thought he he really brought it. Yeah. And, and oh, sorry, go ahead. Um, I, I the Johnny Rehab. Um, yes. There's a cartoon in there. Yes. And then his action <laughs> figures. Was that your poking at? Because you you were just talking about how they wanted to market all this PG-13 stuff, to, mm-hmm. or I mean, radar R stuff to, mm-hmm. to kids. Mm-hmm. Was that you poking fun at them, like, you know, go fuck yourself? Because no. Like, you know, <laughs> no, 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 okay. no, 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 no. Yeah, it was cause, it was me poking fun at, yeah. at society and the world where right. you suddenly mm-hmm. something that's that's horrible and fascist. But if we can make money doing a toy about it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> by the way, that that commercial, the cartoon was directed by one of my best friends, David Silverman, mm-hmm. who you know as uh, the director of The Simpsons. Yep, that's wow. right. Oh, wow. Um, and who 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 came up with the Johnny Rehab toys? Was that uh, <laughs> I? Because that I and I, I what, where are they? Because yeah. I want them. <laughs> you want a collection I, of Johnny I want Rehabs? A collection of Johnny Rehabs. Yeah. <laughs> might be might be Frank. It was, oh, it was really? me or yeah. Frank. I can't remember oh, where great. that came from, but. But uh, the commercials were fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, we get to stop and do a little, like, let's right. Right. let's just do a <laughs> and, little funny commercial right. here. In terms of that, like, kind of, uh, in kind of meta way, was was the idea of uh, Robo having the flight pack and the, you know, the, the gun arm. He's was a that, toy. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Was it a lot yeah. of that yeah. of, like, we need to sell toys? That's, what, that's to what I was wondering, too. How, how much of that was the studio saying, hey, we need to put this in here because we need to sell toys? They didn't make those toys. They didn't make RoboCop with a gun arm and a flight pack until two years ago. Mm. Wow. Okay. So, no. Oh, All right. okay. All that right. was me just sort of making fun of culture. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> which is, well, we got an, well, RoboCop's back. What cool stuff is he going to have? He's going to have something yeah. new. He's got to have something yeah. new. Was uh, for the Ed two hundred nine? Was there ah. supposed to be like uh, extra scenes with it? Because she obviously hacked Nico, um, right? It, yeah, Nico, oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. She just hacked him to blow open the uh, warehouse. They were. Oh, okay. I, I, it, it felt like it could have tagged along with them and like be an extra. Well, I was taking a big risk with the amount of time be- before Robo shows up. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so even then I was like, I don't know. Do we have t- enough time for Ed 209? I don't yeah. Know. And that was a full practical Ed 209, yeah. right? Yep. Oh, it's wow. beautiful. I mean, it's like, gorgeous. Yeah. Was it yeah. the original? I believe so. I don't oh, think wow. they made a new one. Oh, okay. Man. I think they may have made two or three in total for all three films. Wow. Wow. Um, and so, um, so one of the other scenes that, I, that really sticks out to my head in my head, when, especially when I was a kid, was the, the introduction of the splatterpunks. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was yeah. a terrifying scene because you know the cops get in an accident. And they're like, oh, we, and um, the, the the actor who's uh, who, who's who's involved in the accident, um, and, and you know they're both kind of like ribbing each other, like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? You know, like and they're kind of <laughs> just ribbing, like, oh, fuck you, no, fuck you. You know, it's kind of going back and forth, and then all of a sudden they they see the tag on the wall right yeah and, and then like, they hear a whistle a, off in the distance a whistle mm-hmm. and yeah. then you hear the laugh yeah and that's when they're like holy shit 
And they're like, this is Splatterpunks. And then they, and of course the guy's like, what are you talking about? Right. And, shot immediately. and and yeah. I, I definitely felt very Dark Knight Returns. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's exactly with the Splatterpunks yes. and everything. And well, was there like, was a gang in Dark Knight Returns that was mm-hmm. called something similar. Uh, they were punks, weren't they? The, the, the mutants. Mutants, mutants, yeah. Yeah, and it, it was definitely, uh, that was either, that was either Frank or it was me ripping Frank off. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but um, uh, I, I love that scene because it, it's it's terrifying. The cops, you it immediately changes shit, like tone immediately. They're yeah. just you know they're kind of having fun, and all of a sudden they're terrified. And mm-hmm. the guy, get, the actor who who caused the accident, gets shot or get gets caught up in the accident, gets shot. Mm-hmm. And then the cops are now it's like the Wild West. All of a sudden they're yeah. like they're like circling the wagons. They're in enemy territory. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you hear the and you see the punks coming out of the darkness yeah. in the corners, and it's just and here comes Robocop. I'm glad you like that. It's I thought it was spooky. Yeah, I, yeah. I no, love absolutely. That scene. I love it's that sold. Scene. It. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and you get um, you know Robo gets hit with the the fire. Uh, the, oh yeah. Uh, the, oh yeah. Yeah. Set him on Molotov fire. cocktail. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like it, it it does something to the suit where. You see, like this kind of like it's not scarring, but it's like the the kind of burned a char look the char. Yeah. yeah, I thought it looked really badass. I don't know. Is it true that he was supposed to originally when he got set on fire? That's why he doesn't look like Peter Weller because his no. that's what we heard. No, I, no? Uh, oh, okay. The internet is a dark, yeah. dark <laughs> place. Damn it, internet, lying to me again. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're sitting at home, you're at your laptop, <laughs> you're maybe, on Reddit. Maybe, maybe this is why. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because the story is he got burned and like the, his jaw like got burned off, and that's why he doesn't look like Peter Weller. Well, I'm a big James yeah. Bond fan, and years uh-huh. of, years ago I read about like okay when they you know, when Lazenby took over for Connery or whatever, it's like you know they changed his face so that the the bad uh-huh. guys don't know who he is. Right? Like, oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Not to uh, digress too much from where we got, but speaking of James Bond, I uh, you wrote the story for uh, if looks could kill the. Uh, Kid James Bond, uh, yes, was um, was that like out of the blue, or was was it more? Um... Well, coming off of uh, of the Monster Squad, yeah, which was kind of a blend of of genres, which I always love when it's done right, yeah, mm-hmm. where you have a comedy and you have you know it's, it's everything goes for me goes back to Abbott and Costello and Frankenstein, mm-hmm. so you've got the little rascals and you got the Universal monsters, so then I said, well, what about? Oh, I, honestly, I can say this truthfully. The 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 um, inspiration for "If Looks Could Kill," which was originally titled "Teen Agent," uh, was yeah. which it was in England when I saw it. Right. I was a kid yeah. in England. So. That was that was the title, my original title. Oh, okay. Oh, and, oh, and I, I guess Warner Brothers thought that was too cool, so they changed it <laughs> to <laughs> something that makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was a huge fan of Anthony Michael Hall in Sixteen Candles oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and Breakfast Club. And um, I wrote that for him. Wow. Oh. I just said, I'm going to write an Anthony Michael Hall movie. And I wrote, and I'm also a James Bond fan. So yeah. what if Anthony Michael Hall was mistaken for James Bond? And I totally see him in that role. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And, and I did meet him. And um, it, was a, it was a really nice meeting. He and I watched uh, MTV for a while. And then I went outside and I out uh, on a balcony with his mom. And we talked about his life and all that. Mm. And he, he at that time was being wooed by... Stanley Kubrick to do Full Metal Jack to play the Matthew Modine role. Oh, yeah, wow. And um, she was so she was so open and kind, and she goes, "I just I don't know. I hear that he films for three years, and mm-hmm. you know Michael's a teenager, and he's just you know he's having some problems in school because mm-hmm. he's an actor now, and there's some ego stuff." And it was like, "Oh boy." So, uh, but anyway, yeah, I wrote that for him, and wow. then and then when that didn't happen. 
I kind of lost interest. I oh, was interested okay. in directing yeah. it too. Oh, okay. Because it was just, it was going to be, it's like Monster Squad. It's just, I'm yeah. going to take two things I love and just jam them together. Yeah. And then and then they miscast the lead. Nothing against Richard Grieco, but the whole point is it's a nerd yeah, right. who's, mis- who's mistaken for a spy. It's like a kind of cool, you know, matinee idol who's mistaken for a spy. That's just <laughs> yeah. stupid. Man. So, yeah. So I have a story credit on it, but somebody else rewrote it. Gotcha. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. yeah. We would we were talking about that in the car right over because I remember watching that movie as a kid. Yeah, and lo- yeah, because I was a big James Bond nerd, you know, yeah. and and anything that was spy kind oh, yeah, of gadget heavy, gadget and, heavy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Spy adjacent. Yeah, yes. I loved it. Um, and some of the other things that I love about I just got to go back to RoboCop. Yeah, some of the, I just because this. <laughs> I, I've been, I've been. These scenes have been stuck in my head. Cloud Nine, guys. Yeah. Nobody no, talks good. about this movie. I am <laughs> on Cloud Nine. I, I've, these are the scenes that have been stuck in my head since I was a kid. The other mm-hmm. when OCP tries to frame RoboCop. Oh yeah. And they have like his, like his foot, like his, oh the his news reporter around <laughs> yes. with all these Stepping dead bodies. On, right. Yeah. And the news reporter stands up like this is bullshit. Like I can't. And she like throws the thing down like and she walks off. Yeah. And I love that part because like that's when it begins to turn. That's when the people begin to turn against OCP. Yeah. 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 And right after that, you have the cops like. Like walking out, like I'm not. We're not doing this. We're not working for you anymore. All right, you want some trivia? Yes, please. Yeah. Okay. In Night of the Creeps, uh, we we are witness to a nightmare that uh, Detective Cameron, played mm-hmm. by Tom Atkins, has. Mm-hmm. In. But in the nightmare, it initially he's on a beach drinking a uh, uh, a coconut shell cocktail, and this beautiful girl comes over and gives it to him, and then walks off. Yeah. That beautiful girl in Night of the Creeps is the sister of the newscaster in RoboCop 3. Wow. <laughs> That's the LaRue sisters. Oh, I love yeah. it. Jeez. Yeah, I, I, it's all connected. It's all yeah, connected it's, to yeah, shit. It's, it's, yeah, it's a whole I universe. I try yeah. to have everything connected. The Fred Decker universe. Yeah. There you go. I, there I, it I is. I really go out of my way to try and do that. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, uh, I know, in the again, in the, going back to the DVD commentary, you said that you, you felt that you made a lot of mistakes in this movie. Um, I, I didn't disagree with some of that. I think that it was still a really solid film, um, but um, you're gonna yell at him and disagree with him right <laughs> yeah. in his face. Because uh, I, I think it's I think it's a great the film. the gall you have. It was it was my best experience making a movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but but uh, you said that people got really upset that he was flying too. Um, what um, what kind of a backlash did you get for that? For for putting him in in the in in the the jet uh, pack? I don't, know. I don't know how to respond. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> yeah, he, can, he he can be a dead guy in a robotic skeleton <laughs> exactly. that shoots at another RoboCop that's got a brain sticking in a big plastic. Yeah, that's addicted <laughs> to drugs. But no, he can't fly. <laughs> that's you've gone way too far you've now. Got, you've now crossed the line, yeah, man. You've crossed the line. Because who's ever heard of a guy in an iron suit flying around? Nope. You know that doesn't wah, work. Wah. Yeah, oh, yeah. See, way ahead of the, way ahead of the game, Fred. Way ahead of the game. Um, I, I, I personally like how how great he looks. And I, I, you remember you saying this that you wish that you would introduce the flight uh, suit in a different manner. Mm. Um, do you still feel that, or or is it because it's just like in the beginning they steal it, uh, right? Because like the rebels steal it, like oh yeah. that looks expensive, take it. Yeah. And in the end, the doctor. Um, who joins the rebel Dr. says Lazarus, yeah. Dr. Yeah, Lazarus. Lazarus is like oh yeah this is uh, oh it's a, it's a jetpack for Robocop how do you know I designed it yeah. and you weren't very happy with that apparently with that introduction but I, I think it's like it's, somebody snuck in and pretended to be me when they said that <laughs> I, said, I think it works fine I think it works yeah. fine too yeah, yeah. I, I like I like the introduction of it it works fine yeah um, and so uh, 
so we get Robocop flying around. I, 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 that, that final scene was, was really well done with the splatterpunks coming at the, uh, at, at the rebels and, um, uh, how, um, it's a very heavy action scene. Uh, were, did you have a lot of, um, uh, experience, uh, di- like directing something like that? Cause that's everybody's the biggest, shooting, there's explosions, the cars are blowing scene, up. That's the biggest scene I've ever done. Yeah. Mm, wow. How was that? It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun. Uh, I mean, it's a lot of cameras. It's a lot of effects. Yeah. It's a lot of um, you know good uh, assistant director work. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, do you do. believe in doing a lot of storyboarding before doing sequences like that? Or? Yeah, I try to storyboard everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean you use it all the time, right? I mean, a scene like that, you sort of want to know what the pieces. You, know, you call that a shot that you're going to mm-hmm. put in a sequence. What what are the pieces? Well, I want a piece of this, and I want to be able to see that. And sometimes you storyboard that, and sometimes you need to be there on the day and see what it looks like in mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. And that's where you go, okay, master shot here. Let's get a piece of that. Let's get to that. And um, it's it's all about working with talented people. Mm-hmm. Who, mm. You know, you have that conversation, and they go, what about this? And you go, oh, that's even better. <laughs> that's what you want. Right. Right. And so some of the special effects was, I mean, well, it was all practical, obviously, except for the stop motion stuff of, like, Robocop flying around. But... Um, uh, how what was what was your influence for some of the special effects that you that you uh, uh, use in the film? Let me tell you a story. Do you know who Rob Bottin is? Yeah, yeah. Do you, know who, do you know who Phil Tippett is? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hire those guys uh-huh. and shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Just let them do what they do. Let them do what they do. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've heard you call Rob Bottin a a, a a genius, basically. I think he is a genius. I yeah. think I think Phil is too. Yeah. Mm. Um. The the face that um uh. Uh, Otomo the android has yes. after he's yes he oh yeah, yeah. 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 how, how did that come I mean who that that was Rob right that's Rob. Said, oh, wow. the the only direction I gave him was think of him as like a a, a Japanese China bowl mm. yeah yeah so in other words if you if you have a cyborg or a robot and you mm-hmm. destroy their head. What's he made of? What's it going to look like? There's a million choices you could make. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought, let's you know, have him be cracked like a like a piece of china. Yeah. Yeah. With that terrifying grin. Creepy. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And then I I kind of love. There's never really. There's no like answer to what automo like there's no like is he is he is he a cyborg like is there a brain in there is he a, mm-hmm. an android yeah. like it's just this like this almost like just this force that just keeps coming. You know, yeah, and yeah. then the, you know you see the scene where there's multiple of them. You're like, oh shit! Like this is a whole right. army of these guys. It could be out there. The conveyor belt of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I have to ask you about filmmaking nowadays, uh, particularly. I think unfortunately we're in this really heavy era right now. Within the last 15, 20 years, of well, certainly 15, 10, 15 years of like this very heavy CGI use right mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. what do you think about that as opposed to practical effects which is what you know you really work with in in, in your in your, uh, your career what do you special effects have to suit the story you're telling mm-hmm. and what happened with CGI I mean I was I mean I remember I don't know if I was talking to Phil about this but he you know I heard very early on the story of him 
because Phil Tippett did Jurassic Park. And right. Prior to Jurassic mm. Park, had done all stop motion animation, the little things in the in the the chess game in Star Wars. In yeah. Star Wars, and and the the, the uh, at at walkers in Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Ti- uh, that's all Phil Tippett, and mm. it's stop motion animation, old school like Gumby and Pokey. <laughs> and then uh, along comes CGI, which they realized was probably the best way to do Jurassic Park. And there's a famous clip of their test, their the first test of how this was going to work. And and Phil, I think this is apocryphal, but it makes for a good story, is that Phil was watching that clip, and it was the first CGI, and it wasn't animated by him, although he had helped design it. And, and he saw this, and he said, and he said uh, we're extinct, mm. referring, wow. referring to stop-motion animation. Um, what was your question? What What do you think? CGI right now is, is so heavily prevalent. What do you think that compared to? The answer to, to your question is that great CGI kind of can't be beat. Mm-hmm. The dinosaurs in the first Jurassic, and I've, I've, I've sort of lost interest as, as Spielberg stepped away from those films, mm-hmm. yeah. but I love the first two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the dinosaurs are fantastic. Yeah. Um, and it's the only way to do it I mean, there are full-sized uh, animatronic dinosaurs in both of those films mm-hmm. for close-ups and things, but it's kind of the only way to do it. But when people use CGI because it's the cheapest way to do it, mm-hmm. by and large, you can kind of tell. Right, you know? right. I mean, you know, back to Otomo's face, it's all about design. Yeah. Yeah. To me, that's really what it's about. Animation, you can do several, several different ways, but it's certainly cheaper to do CGI. Well, and... and- you see bad examples of CGI all the time now yeah. because everyone's trying to get the lowest bid. Yeah. And you see something like the the, the, um, the Robocop remake mm-hmm. where there's a whole scene where they have Robocop fight three Ed 209s in that movie. Yeah. And everyone's jumping around and doing flips and there's no sense of weight to anything or it's just, you know, and Robocop in that is just completely in black and he's fighting yeah. these black Robots, and you're just like, I can't, I don't know what I'm watching. Yeah. You know, it's, and I, I love practical effects. I love, you know, there's, there's directors out there like uh, Guillermo del Toro is really good at blending mm-hmm. CGI and practical mm-hmm. and still, still using, you know, monster makeups and stuff he's like that. He's a bigger Frankenstein fan than I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's working on Frankenstein yeah, movie, right? So, yeah. I mean, like, I, I wish there was more. Um, I don't know if it's I'm not going to say directors but I will say studios that were, are are open enough to blend the two like use CGI is a great tool but it's a tool and let's yeah. let's let's use it in our toolbox but let's let's well, not put well, away old well, stuff well to, to, you didn't ask this question but I'm, I'm going to respond to it anyway you mm-hmm. do have to you do have to hold the director accountable mm. because a, a director who says here's what I want to do and the studio says you can't do that yeah. mm. that's when the director has to sort of Stand or fall. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die on the slab for this particular thing. Yeah. yeah. So y- you really have to blame them and applaud them for when it works. Yeah. But you know, studios, they're all. They're, it's all about penny pinching, and yeah. the, one of the many fights you oh. have in, in 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 directing a movie is, you know, this is going to cost this amount. Yeah. But if it's something where it it can only be this way. So I don't care how much it costs. So let's take the money from something else. Mm-hmm. But bad directors are the ones who just go, okay. Mm-hmm. No, we can't direct. Okay, I'll do it your way. Right. You, know? you got to stick with your guns with, you, with what you, you love. You do. I mean, and, and, and it can get awkward. It can get uh, uncomfortable. But mm-hmm. uh, but that's the job. Yeah. yeah. 
with uh, with with the Predators, you wrote that with Shane Black. The Predator, excuse me. You wrote yes. that with, with Shane Black. Um, I did. Yes. How how much of the how much of the what you turned in was was using this was using the film? Was it? Um, well, everything was written by me and Shane. Yeah. There's nothing in there that was written by anybody else, mm. oh, okay. except maybe the very very end. I don't. I don't Mm. Might have been an ad lib by the actor, mm. but no, we wrote we wrote it all together. And uh, what? Um, how, how was that experience? Uh, what, what? How did they approach you to? Did they approach both of you to redo another Predator movie? Or was uh, that, well, uh, they approached Shane initially because mm -hmm. he was actually in the first movie, mm -hmm. and after Iron Man three was was you know a sought after director, and I think they thought it would be a nice sort of like coming home sure mm -hmm. like let's you know that now that you're a director come back and mm -hmm. uh, play in the sandbox that you were in at the very beginning yeah and then he very kindly we had done a western for um for amazon a pilot that was really cool that we had a lot of fun with that we that we shot in uh, new mexico mm -hmm. and so we were kind of on a roll mm -hmm. we hadn't worked we hadn't written together in years i think since shadow company mm -hmm. and so we had fun and he said hey do you want to do this predator movie and i said sure great and so we wrote it together, and um, it is what it is. <laughs> did, did you always want to work on our Predator film? Or? No. Oh, okay. You just. No, I think the first one's terrific, and one and done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you never saw the rest of them at all? or? I saw two. Yeah. And I saw the Robert Rodriguez one. Okay. Oh, Predators. Yeah. Predators, yeah. I, I just think there's limited entertainment mm. from, from the Predators. <laughs> Personally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, is there any other sci-fi movie that you would want to take on at all? Oh, that's a great question. Wish you'd asked me before we started, so I could have thought, think of something. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. If they offered you anything. What would you want? In the science fiction realm, or anything, any fantasy, whatever it is. If a pseudo said, "Carp launch you do whatever you want," what, what would it be? The great unmade Decker film. Uh, I made a deal to make after Monster Squad, mm -hmm. and had Monster Squad been a gigantic hit. Mm. I would have made the Johnny Quest movie. Oh, oh wow. Shit. I wrote the script. It's yeah. my favorite script. Live like, action? Yep. It's mm. my favorite script, and it's everything you could possibly imagine it to be. Uh -huh. All the stuff from the main titles are in the plot of the movie. <laughs> wow. And, uh, and it has a heart and a soul. It's, uh -huh. It could have been my, 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 greatest, my greatest film. Mm. Yeah, and is, I mean, is that still something that you're trying to, to make happen at all? Or? Um, no, I haven't touched it in years. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of this stuff is corporate. You know, we talk about yeah. Warner Brothers and Sony, and and and, and now they're sort of cross collateralizing, mm -hmm. so that it's like, well, who owns this? And what's there's no yeah. there, there's no identity in Hollywood anymore. It's all about the money. Mm -hmm. yeah. People care more about the money than having a shingle that means something. You know, right. it used to be the Universal logo would come up, and you'd go, oh, here comes something exciting, or mm -hmm. Warner Brothers, or whatever it is, and it's not that way anymore. Um, I don't know who owns Johnny Quest. I think it's it, it, it was Warner Brothers, but yeah, I'm not sure if they do. But I I think is that through Hanna Barbera though. Or? Hanna Barbera is yeah, the studio. Yeah. Who owns Hanna Barbera? I think Car well, I thought, I thought Cartoon Warner Network Bears. picked up a lot of Hanna Barbera's yeah, uh, yeah. catalog. But, that, but that's not they they show it, but they don't own it. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, I'm not sure who owns it. Do you have a a uh, like a currently or or actors in general that you have in mind for that for that movie? <laughs> no, and I, I never even thought of them mm -hmm. really because I think the that uh, 
those characters mean so much to me as who they are yeah mm. that it's kind of, it's a little bit like Tom Atkins in, in Night of the Creeps is I would I would want to meet actors mm. um, there, there's a there's a there's a term in Hollywood you've heard called starfucker <laughs> yeah and I just I'm never I'm not interested in like working with a big name actor because it's a big name actor yeah, working, right. work, I'm interested in working with great actors whether they're big names or not mm. And with that one, it would be really be a matter of finding a casting director, and we talk about who is this, what do they need to look like, what do they need to act like, what's their attitude, mm-hmm. and then having actors come in and go, that's Ray Spanna. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think about the state of Hollywood right now in general? I think you can tell I've got some issues with it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I just thought I'd, I'd ask directly. <laughs> I mean, do you think it's ever going to, I don't come back, whatever, lack of a better term, come back or... or uh, have another moment like we had in the 80s and 90s with these amazing movies being made year after year? I think uh, I think that the powers that be would have to adjust their thinking. Mm-hmm. And, and there would have to be a, a, more, a, a better litmus test for who's in charge. Because mm-hmm. I feel like now the people who are, who are in charge don't love movies. Mm. And if yeah, you have people... Who, and, and like in the yeah. 30s and 40s, you know, those old guys... They loved what they were doing. Right. Yeah. And now it's kind of like if it's a when it becomes a business where it's mm-hmm. all about the bottom line, get out of the business and find another one where you can make more money but not ruin our dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh that's that's basically how we talk about that a lot on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those exact sentiments. Yeah. Uh, are uh, the things that we loved uh, growing up, um, Star Wars, and and you know, which are just uh, we're not really sure where they're at right now, unfortunately. Yeah. It it uh, does feel like there's a lot of uh, other people making decisions other than the artists in charge. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, greed is is, is a problem. Yeah. I mean, mm. I mean, I I don't begrudge somebody for wanting to to sell what they've created and make a lot of money on it, but you yeah. know. By the time George Lucas sold Star Wars to Disney, we already are invested in it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's no. selling something he owns, but it's something that we're invested in. Yeah. Mm. And I think, and I'm, I'm not pointing my finger at him particularly, but anybody who's who owns intellectual property and then just sells it for the top dollar, who isn't thinking about how is this going to affect the people who love it, that really rubs me the wrong way. Right. Mm. Well, Monster Squad is still out there, and we still love it. Yep. And RoboCop Three is out there, Robocop and we love 3 it. Three, and we love it. Yeah. 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 Because it's and again, I'll say it again. I don't care. It's it's. RoboCop Three is a great film. Monster Squad is a great film. Completely influential to my life as a young kid, and it's just um, it it really ignited a, a love of writing in me, particularly Monster that Squad. That means a lot to me. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, go ahead. I, well, I before we. Or wrap up. I would assume that's what we're doing. But I, I did want to just bring up. I did read that you were a, a comic book fan, and I was kind of interested in like what were you? Was it more superhero or was it the sci-fi old sci-fi like comic? I was that, a big Marvel fan in the in, yeah in, in, nice. in the heyday when mm-hmm. Jack Kirby and and uh, Jim Steranko and all yeah. those guys were drawing and uh, oh yeah and Stan the man was uh, was writing I mean I really love that stuff but now you know obviously that's been that's been taken and is <laughs> and they're doing it plenty yeah so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> very much yeah, so. a lot. Well, Fred, we've taken up almost two hours of your time. Oh, yeah. Thank oh, you gosh. so much for coming Thank on. You. We really appreciate it. Thank you for the work that you've done for having a massive influence on us. As kids, I mean, it's 
everything that you guys did in the 80s and 90s, we were raised on. Yeah. And it continues to influence our lives <laughs> this day. Basically, you, you have to adopt us now. Basically, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, what this comes down to. Exactly. You're our stepdad. And, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, like I said before, it was, it was a lot of our moral compass for us growing up. And yeah, I want to be the good guy. I don't want to be the bad guy because that's, they don't, they don't succeed. And the good guys win. And, hold and, on to that, man. Yeah. yeah, hold on to it. I yeah, we've been holding on to it for. We're all in. A, well, I'm I'm 41. They're almost 40, and that's that's what been our that's what's been our guiding principle yeah. since we were kids. Thanks to movies like that that you made. So well, really not just that. because you said that very nice speech, but uh, this has been one of the most enjoyable. Um, greatest uh, interviews I've done. I awesome. really appreciate it. Thank you. You, you guys are great. Thank, Thank you. you. And we have stuff here in front of us, and uh, we were wondering if you'd sign it for us because we're nerds and we're so sorry to ask. But yeah, happy to. <laughs> Absolutely. Wait, happy. Chad, put your pants back on. Oh, God. Oh, no. 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 <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we were doing so well. Was there anything you wanted to like promote or yeah, push yeah, or like the yeah, like you're something you're working, working on? on? Can't talk about it. Oh, awesome. Ooh, Fair enough. Oh, outstanding. Now That's it's, good news. Okay. Enticing. All the mics are off now. We can talk <laughs> about it right now. Uh, take us out, Shan. All right. Uh, thank you all for uh, listening to another episode of Enter the Nerddom. It's been a blast with Fred Decker here, and I hope you all uh, who were listening enjoyed it just as much as we enjoyed talking to him. And uh, yes, as, as we usually always say, uh, Enter the Nerddom, exit the Deckerverse. And watch Monster Squad, yes. watch Night of the Creeps, well, Robocop 3 is a great movie. If you don't like it, fuck you. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's Miller movie. time. Yeah. <laughs> bye, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>